0: Join us on our perch at the far end of the bar. He's Ben. He's Richard. Ben and I were just talking about... Well, what we, we were talking about the Cernabis Giants. That's what we were talking about, weren't we? Yeah,
1: because they just recently discovered... They, th- they thought it was about 300 years old. That's been the established wisdom for a long time. But just recently, they reckon it was actually originally carved in the 10th century. And he's a big old chap. Yeah. In so many ways. He stands there proud, shall we say. Yes, very proud. Yeah. I mean, it's not a building, but it is an enormous erection. It's a, it certainly is. It's something that Manhattan would be proud of. The earliest written reference is 1694 from the records of the church in Cernabas. Right. And there was a survey in 1617 by a chap called John Norden, who was famously thorough, but he didn't
0: mention the Cernabas giants at all is that because on the hill he was overgrown with grass because his outline is in chalk isn't it that's right it's 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 laid out in he's laid out in chalk
1: and then uh, over the centuries it would have been overgrown and probably hidden from view yeah but, i mean there's also speculation that people did know about it uh, for in 1617, but we found it too embarrassing.
0: But is that the case that they? Because we know that the, the Victorians were famously embarrassed about everything. They were so embarrassed about legs they would cover the legs on tables. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's overkill, really, isn't it? It really is. So, but but before that, I I thought we were a bit more kind of um, free and easy, a bit more. Well. It's difficult to know, isn't it? Because I don't think they
1: made a, a record of whether or not attitudes were more liberal than they were 50 years ago. It's not like they were doing
0: surveys and uh and I and don't censuses. know whether, whether, it was, whether it was liberal. Now, and I may be doing history a disservice now. But um, given the fact that I've read a number of historical novels and watched a number of historical films and plays and such like, and I go to the theatre and I take all this in, I just think... In those times, between the 1600s and um, the 1800s, there was a lot more filth around. There was, do you think? I think, yes, indeed. Debauchery and filth. It was very popular. This is uh,
1: a little detail about this story, which I really like. There was a Benedictine monastery founded in Cernabas in the late 10th century. And the speculation is that the reason the Cernabas giant was put on the hill was as an act of resistance by local people to create this... Uh, this is Alison Sheridan, I'm quoting here, who's a, an archaeological consultant. And it, it would almost seem to be an act of resistance by local people to create this fantastically rude pagan image on the hillside. She says, it's like a big two fingers <laughs> to the abbey. <laughs> I, I mean, it's more like one big middle, one finger, one big middle me, finger, But all the same. <laughs> Imagine if if people decided today they wanted to go and lay out the outline in chalk of a man with a huge erection on the hillside. I mean, the reaction would be, I don't think you should be doing that, It's PC gone mad. You can't even carve a man with a giant penis in the hillside (laughs) anymore.
0: Here we are at the far end of the bar, and as you know, we like to push the envelope of Available beverages, and so Ben, today mm-hmm. I am offering you a refreshing. Why am I nervous? Well, I'm nervous. <laughs> a refreshing glass of Doctor Brown's Cell Ray. Is it a drink or a medicine? Well, it first appeared sometime in the 1860s, and I'm told, and I have to go on this because I've yet to taste this. I'm told it's become something. Uh, of a popular drink in New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and South Florida. Um, Okay. You'll you'll find it in various Jewish delicatessens. It's described as a popular yet unusual beverage. Mm. However, this drink is very, very difficult to find outside of the U.S. In fact, in most parts of the U.S., apart from those that I mentioned, it's very difficult to find. You're asking, what is it? I am thinking, well, I mean, it, to be honest, the name hasn't sold
1: it to me. So there better be something in the detail of the ingredients. Otherwise, I'm just going to have to say no. Dr. Brown's
0: Cel-Ray. <laughs> it's a celery soda. Oh, my giddy-on. With one or two other natural flavours. Ca- well, I hope so. It's caffeine-free. I'm just... Is it fizzy?
1: Is it, are you telling me you're trying to
0: give me fizzy celery? It's an excellent <laughs> alternative to standard sodas. And you can serve it chilled. Like, yeah. You wouldn't want it warm, would you? Warm, yeah, warm celery, celery soda <laughs> <laughs> Depending on your preference. So for a refreshing drink any time of the day, try Dr. Brown's Celery Soda. I'm sorry, Dr. Brown, but you can do one.
1: Got something you want to tell us? Email the far end of the bar at gmail.com. Or find us on Insta, Twitter, or Facebook using the hashtag TFEOTB.
0: So I presume that, as a, uh, uh, a married man with a family, you, you're up to your ears with insurance, are you? Yeah, it's, it's coming out of every orifice. Yes, it's that the, we we do spend an awful. Some friends of mine don't believe in insurance, so. Uh, they they live their lives very happily uninsured. It's it's the strangest thing. And really? Yes, and they go on holidays and they have new cars and they always seem to have a little bit more money than those of us who are cautious and have um, have, have have gone down the road of insuring ourselves at every available opportunity. Yeah. Um, but some celebs, as you will know, have insured parts of their body. Yes. Tom Jones, what's he insured? Um, his, his voice. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? He is Tom Jones, the voice. He is the voice. Tm and The man with uh, it, 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 the extraordinary ability to sing at 80 in almost exactly the same key as those tunes that he belted out in the 1960s when he was a very mm. young man. Tom Jones <laughs> has insured his chest hair. Has he really? Yes. Not his voice or a <laughs> body part, but his chest hair. Apparently, it means a lot to the singer. It's reportedly insured for almost... Go on, guess. Oh, come on now. Come on. Give uh-huh. me a figure. Tom is <laughs> 40 grand. 40 grand. 7 million. Oh, my goodness. It's also reported that Tom Jones's chest hair is insured by Lloyd's of London, the same company that insures the legs, or insured the legs of Fred Astaire, and the right. hands of Liberace.
1: I I mean, so if Tom Jones' chest hair disintegrates or goes up in flames... He can claim. Does the bell at
0: the Lloyds of London ring? It rings. It rings. (laughs) And and several people throw themselves from the seventh floor. (laughs) (laughs) Julia Roberts, known for her gorgeous looks, her smile has to be one of the most iconic things in Hollywood. Not only does she have a beautiful smile... But it lights up a room, it says here. Well, there's clever if you can do that. Yes, General Electric could plug straight into Julia Roberts. Nice. Uh, But it's her smile that she has had insured. How do you insure a smile? Well, I guess you can
1: lose a smile, you know, say if she had um, an unfortunate accident and a few teeth were uh, dislodged. Oh, I see. And uh, her lip was... I mean, God forbid this ever happens. Yes. She seems like a, a nice lady. But if her lip was, you know, split stuff, I don't really want to get down this route, if I'm honest. No, I'm, just, I'm now thinking about the, ori-
0: the origins of the Joker, as you're describing all of this. It's it's, it's unsavoury. <laughs> but anyway, the, the poor lady... Well, poor, I say poor. She wouldn't be poor if she did have an accident with her smile because she's taken out an insurance policy to make sure that uh, if it ever if she ever loses her smile, she will cash in to the tune of $30 million. Wow. How smart that's What's the premium on that?
1: How do you prove you've lost your smile? That is the question, isn't it? There must, you know, as much as I don't really want to spend any time ever examining insurance documents, that would be an interesting one to read, to establish by what criteria it would be agreed that she'd lost her smile and they had to pay out on that, that amount
0: of money. There would be American lawyers listening to us now. Please, God. Mm. Uh, who would be rubbing their hands together at the thought of litigating thirty millions worth of smile in a in an American court? Oh, yeah. some, somebody would make some money out of that, and it would probably be the lawyers. Mariah Carey, here's another one. No one can hit high notes or sing like Mariah Carey. She's got an amazing uh, octavial range, she, and she can hit uh, notes that only bats can hear. Mm. Um, she needed to protect her biggest asset, huge insurance policy. Now, this is, this is <laughs> what are you,
1: so you've gone down the tabloid, <laughs> tabloid journalist route here. Her biggest asset, yes, come on then, let me guess. <laughs> you see, I've led you down a path,
0: and I'm, and I, you're, I'm not going to disappoint you because it's her voice. Of course it is. 35 million, if anything should ever happen. Uh, she's more than insured. She'll be all right. Oh, she has just as a kind of sidebar to Mariah Carey. um, I know that. I think we once did a radio show where we we, um, didn't we discuss a diet, a celebrity diet, where people would only eat certain coloured foods. Do you remember that? Certain coloured foods. Yes. Uh, It was it was diet by coloured foods, and she decided that the only diet that she the, the only food that she would eat on this diet, and she put this into the rider. Uh, of a number of contracts, was purple. If the, food, <laughs> if the food was purple, she would eat it. She'd been convinced that the way to keep her figure was to only eat purple. Well, I mean, in fairness, it does seem to have worked. <laughs> <laughs> 35 million quid on her voice. Keith Richard. Now, this is fairly obvious. What would Keith Richard Right. Keith Richard, sure... His hands. Yes, it was. Surely. His hands. Yes, they'd be covered for 1.6 million. Uh, mighty Cyrus. Is that all? Yeah. My, well, you know, <laughs> Keith. <laughs> Miley Cyrus, apparently, and I'm a big fan. I have to say, um, you like a bit of Miley these days. I think she's terrific. I'm really <laughs> impressed with the, the the stuff that she does these these days. Not so much the early stuff with her dad. When she was on the telly in that, that whatever that was called. Um, miley has been uh, constantly sticking her tongue out. At every, it's, it's kind of a thing that she does. So she, she decided to take out an insurance policy on her famous tongue. Just be safe. And as a result, her tongue is worth kerching.
1: I'm growing less and less patient here. I'm, a- I'm going to say 2.8 million. <laughs> Uh, overvalued. Uh, One million pounds. Well, if she gets, a, she gets an ulcer on her tongue, yeah. the insurance company must up, thinking,
0: oh, hold on. Okay. <laughs> She's got an ulcer. Oh, dear. <laughs> Quick, get the emergency bongella around there. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to shelve out a million dollars. I'm just going to glory for a moment in the idea
1: of emergency bongella. What a great idea that
0: is. <laughs> I, I was the driver. On the emergency <laughs> Bongiello lorry, did whip ran the minor services when she had an ulcer on the back of her tongue. Uh, this is the big one, the one we've been heading towards. Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah,
1: is it his enormous sense of smugness?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it could be his ego. Yeah, but it's not. It's his legs. This is where we go into the stratosphere. Okay. A fine pair of legs,
1: let's be honest. I mean, I'm picturing them now, and I'm thinking you thought Donald Trump was a weird colour. I thought for a moment, though, you were going to say Donald
0: Duck. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have got very far taking free kicks with Donald Duck's legs. No, not very far at all.
1: Right, okay, so let's have it. So you're going to say that I should have a guess at how much Go on, Cristiano Ronaldo's legs are insured for. If Miley Cyrus's tongue is a million yeah. and Keith Richards' hands 1. 1. 1.6, 6, were they? Yeah. Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. Not the original. Not Fred Ronaldo. Ronaldo. <laughs> there was the original Ronaldo, wasn't there? Yes,
0: there was. Yes. The Brazilian. Yes, the Brazilian guy, yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, anyway, Cristiano Ronaldo. The Portuguese? Legs. I'm going to say... Could be, the thing is, if he lost the use of his legs, mm. that's, that is millions and millions and millions of pounds he's losing out on. And his sponsors and his employers. And So, I'm going to say...
0: 110 million. Oh, very good. Very close. 144. But even oh, so, 144 million pounds... Uh, and again, can you imagine what the premium would be like on that? Oh, wow. Yeah, this just a thing. we haven't really thought about that for any of these
1: cases. But, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure Cristiano Ronaldo can comfortably afford whatever the premium is.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he can. Uh, Between him, his club, his agents and whatever, his legs Mm. are insured for 144000000 million. I'm going to come to one final one, and this is the one that that sent me on this um, search for all of these celebrity body parts which have been insured over the years. I was in the car talking to my daughter the other day, and we were talking about... Oh, we were talking about J-Lo. And she was saying that that J-Lo... Because I was mentioning about the fact that years ago, um, Ken Dodd had his teeth... Insured for a million pounds, and Raquel Welsh had her boobs so said, and I said, well, it's probably all just PR. I don't very much, if people actually shell out the money for this, but they would be big stories in the Sunday papers. And she mentioned J Lo's backside, which apparently mm. is is uh, insured for a million pounds. Is that all? Well, I, yeah. Uh, well, Kim Kardashian's backside is is now apparently. Insured for a staggering $21 million. Wow. To which my daughter said, could she insure it for third party fire and theft?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would
0: bring the premium down.
1: That's a very, very sensible question. Who'd want to buy a burning bum? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Pub quiz. You up for a pub quiz? Always up for a pub quiz. All right. Very simple this week. Uh, what I would like you to tell me or cogitate on... I am a great cogitator. Where would you find the largest amount of sand in the world? Mm. There are no points in this if you use the word juicence. <laughs> Where well, would you find the largest amount of sand in the world?
1: Going back a few years when my boys were toddlers, I would have said in my car after a <laughs> visit to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> shall, we come, but, shall we come back to that? Yeah, that does require
0: some considerable cogitation. Yes. All right, we'll come <laughs> back to that. We are looking for the place in the world where you would find the largest amount of sand.
1: Let me introduce to you perhaps the ultimate example of taking one for the team. Alright. This is a man called Justin O. Schmidt who is an expert on insects, works in Arizona and he has spent the last 40 odd years building what has become known as the Schmidt Pain Index. Oh. Now, the aim of this is to rate and describe the pain caused by various insect bites and stings. So, he started, as I say, 40 years ago. He's published several papers in the time since, collating and interpreting evidence from around the world. But the reason I say that he's taken one for the team is that he claims to have personally been bitten or stung by the majority of of biting or stinging insects currently known to humankind. That's impressive. So, his scale, n- naught is no pain at all. Two is the pain most people will have experienced in their life, so a sting from a bee or a wasp. And four is the most painful he's ever come across. So, uh, examples are the bullet ant, which I mean, the clue's in the name, or the tarantula hawk, which is a spider wasp that preys on tarantulas. That's a brave wasp.
0: I didn't even even know there was such a thing.
1: The glory of the scale is, in his description, of the various stings and bites. So level one, he described the pain from a sting from the urban digger bee as almost pleasant. A lover just bit your earlobe a little too hard. Ah. Level two. A pleasing nibble. A pleasing nibble. Just a little too hard. Uh, Level two. A yellow jacket sting. Described as being hot and smoky. Almost irreverent. Imagine W.C. Fields extinguishing a cigar in your tongue. Ah. I'm not sure that would be almost irreverent. But anyway. Level three. This is where we're getting to the pain now. A maricopa harvester ant. Described as... After eight hours of drilling into that ingrown toenail, you find the drill wedged into the toe. Ah! Uh, right? And now we get to level four. So the aforementioned bullet ant, Schmidt described the sting as pure, intense, brilliant pain, like walking over flaming charcoal with a three-inch nail embedded in your heel. And my favourite, I think... The warrior wasp, another level four torture. You are chained in the flow of an active volcano, thinking, "Why did I start this list?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course, of course, there will be people listening to this thinking, "Oh, I'm becoming quite aroused at the <laughs> at the idea of pain," uh, because, as we know, some people um, thrive on on this pain, and he actually experienced all of these things himself yeah, he's, like I
1: say. I think he originally started gathering evidence from other people and you know getting the odd bite or sting for himself but then he actively started searching out the different insects
0: when you ask someone who is in pain how bad that pain is I mean if you've ever been to the doctor and with mm. something painful he will say uh, well how painful is it and you try and mm. find then the words to describe the pain that you're feeling. Well, I imagine if
1: Schmidt goes to the hospital with back pain he, and they he's, ask him... He's, he's got he's a whole got lexicon some, of words. <laughs> Very florid descriptions. The doctors must actively look forward to him coming in, I should think. I mean, you and I go in and they say, what is it, on a level of naught to 10? You say, well... I've had a kidney stone, that was a 10, this is probably about a 7. And they're yawning
0: in the corner thinking, I wish you were Mr. Schmidt. Well, I, I've got another one I'm going to add to that, um, which is probably around about uh, a three on the list. Yeah, I had I had what they call golfer's elbow. Mm. There, there's there's um, tennis elbow, which is on the top of the elbow, golfer's elbow, which is on the underside of the elbow. And right. uh, most times, mo- people get it, and within a couple of months, it's gone. And mine went on and on and on, gnawing away. It was like a horrible toothache. So I went along to see my dog, and he uh, was a good man. And he said, well, look, I can, I can put a jab. Let's put some steroid in there. That'll help it. He said, but mm. I'm going to have to go into your... Right, now, we're talking about the underside of the elbow. Right. Kind of where the funny bone yeah, is, right? Yeah, that's right. I didn't say Ow. For the only time in my life, I uttered two words that I've I've never said before, and I don't think I'll ever say since. Those two words were, oh, mama. (laughs) (laughs) So if I may, can I just add the words, oh, mama, at around about three and a half on your scale. (laughs) That's marvellous.
1: What did the doctor well, say? He when was,
0: you... was still—he still had that needle in <laughs> my in my elbow, and he's now laughing whilst spraying steroid into my. Head. Didn't make it any better, I think. Oh, Ooh, mama! Oh, mama!
1: Well, I suppose you know. I mean, it could have been
0: a lot ruder,
1: so it, it you could. must be given
0: but respect for I that. I think. I think the, the. I don't know where this comes from, really. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure. I. I know the, the derivation of that uh, particular phrase or where I conjured it up from in that moment of pain. Mm. But it will never leave me. No,
1: I, I don't think it will le- ever leave me now. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing, just to add on to the uh, to the, 4 the uh, pain scale. Yep. And every parent who's ever bought their child... Building brick sets oh. will know that if you step on the Lego in the middle of the night in your bare foot, that's right up there with the pain from a bullet and stick. Indeed, that's definitely an oh mama. That is an oh mama moment. Oh mama moment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, interestingly, a book I ordered fourteen months ago has just arrived. Fourteen months. Fourteen months ago, and I completely forgotten I'd ordered it. Yeah. Um, the book of the script of the play, "Laughter on the Twenty-Third Floor" by Neil Simon, I'd been looking for for ages, couldn't find it. Uh, ordered it from America, from a book depository in America, and um, paid me money. And I completely—I think I have got a message to say. Um, "We're looking for it," or you know it isn't in stock at the moment or whatever. And then I completely forgotten that this thing was bought and paid for. Mm. And it was only the other day when it arrived when I thought, "Goodness, Yes, I remember ordering this. And I looked back at the date and it was 14 months ago. The reason why I ordered it in the first place was because it's a play which is based on Neil Simon's experience working on a thing called Your Show of Shows with the legendary Sid Caesar. I don't know if, if the legendary Sid Caesar cuts any ice with you or, or many people these days. Caesar's Palace? No, no. No different thing? No, entirely different thing. 1950s America, Sid Caesar was the sensation of television. He was the the, the guy at the very centre, the epicentre, of a 90-minute variety show that went out every week Um, and among the writers who wrote for Caesar early in their career were Mel Brooks, Larry Gelbart who created the series MASH for television, Mm -hmm. Neil Simon and a whole bunch of others and Carl Reiner who created the Dick Van Dyke show and who's the father of Rob Reiner who did all those fantastic films. Um, So you know there, there was a great deal of showbiz royalty working on that show. But Neil Simon's play was kind of all about the writer's room and how they got together and how they would write. It was the Saturday Night Live of its time. It was, and it lasted 90 minutes and it it had 60 million viewers a week. Wow. That's only Fools and Horses
1: Christmas special kind of world, well, uh, isn't yes, it? Yes,
0: yes, yeah. and, and Morecambe and Wise all rolled into one. Yeah, yeah. In percentage terms, at least. But just to go back to the thing that inspired this mention of your show of shows was the fact that I ordered a, a book which took 14 months to arrive. I can't think of anything that I've spent anything like that amount of time waiting for. As I say, I'd completely forgotten that I'd even ordered it. Well, funny enough, you've just reminded me of a present
1: that I ordered for my boy for his birthday. Which is in February, and it wasn't this year. It was the previous year, right? And it's um, you know, they collect these kind of they're like pop figures, um, so they're like kind of caricatures made into models of various
0: film stars and things. Yeah. But yeah, so that is sixteen months. 16 yeah, sixteen. You you've just beaten me. We're playing um delayed postage <laughs> poker. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> just beaten me by two <laughs> months. <laughs> The world's most boring version of poker <laughs> delayed
1: <laughs> postage poker.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I've just gone in with a full house.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, if anyone has uh, waited any longer than 16 months for something to arrive or has completely forgotten, well, if mm. you've completely forgotten that you ordered something, then you, you will have no recollection. But you know, if, if this conversation is bringing that back, do let us know. Drop us an email yeah. to. The
1: far end of the bar at gmail.com.
0: Right, answers to the pub quiz then. I know you've been thinking about mm. this, you've been cogitating about where in the world you would find the largest amount of sand. I'm absolutely positive
1: that this isn't the answer because it's so obvious. But I'm going to have to say um, a desert. And uh, I'm going to have to go with Sahara, because as I remember, that's the biggest one. You're going with the Sahara Desert? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Sahara... Is that time at the bar, or...? <laughs> it's
0: the only thing I had available to make a noise. My glass here, which is full of uh, Dr. Brown's cell red. <laughs> no wonder it's still full. Only 25% of the Sahara Desert is sand. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Sand dunes and sheets cover only 25% of the Sahara's actual surface. The desert has numerous other land features, including salt flats, gravel plains, plateaus, and even mountains where snow has been recorded. But 25% of a desert does not constitute the largest amount of sand in the world. You could have mentioned some other deserts. You could have mentioned the Gobi Desert. That was on the tip of my tongue. The Kalahari. Uh-huh. The Australian desert, yeah, which is most of the centre of Australia. Yeah. The correct answer is the empty quarter, the Rub al-Khali in Arabic, which has the world's largest expanse of unbroken sand encompassing the southern third of the Arabian Peninsula, including southern Saudi Arabia and areas of Oman and the United Arab Emirates, and also bits of Yemen. Yeah. Do you know where the only desert is in England? Uh,
1: um, in England? Yes, specifically in England. I mean, it would make sense if it was down south somewhere, because it's generally a little bit warmer. So I'm going to say the Kent-Hampshire Area. Ooh,
0: Dungeness. Dungeness. Dungeness is the only desert in the UK, uh, coastal area of Kent. So there you go. Well ah. done. An extra point. What, what are you going to do with your extra point? <laughs> uh, large triangular-shaped, desolate landscape formed of gravel and shell debris. The name Dungeness is derived from the old Norse language, which means headland. It also means there's a lot. uh, There's a few boats, old, decaying, rotting boats over there, and not a lot else. But there you are. The Mm -hmm. only bit of England which is officially designated as desert is Dungeness. Uh, That that was actually genuinely interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's time at the far end of the bar. You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. If you enjoyed your time with us, please don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you catch the next episode. And find us on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTB or email us at thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. Cheers!